Hi and welcome to episode 2 of the Pirates of the Airways podcast. My name is Mark Wakeley and I'm one of the people behind the land-based pirate radio of the 70s and 80s Facebook group. In these podcasts I'm going to chat to some people who were involved in pirate radio in the 70s and 80s about their time in this secret but also not so secret world. If you were one of those radio rebels and you want to tell the world about how you changed the face of radio in the UK or just spent your weekend evenings going up and down tower blocks in lifts that had suspect aromas and questionable hygiene levels or you just want to comment about the pod please get in touch by emailing us at piratepod7080 at gmail.com or comment via the Facebook group and before I go any further, let me thank the good people at piratearchive.net and amfm.org.uk for their help in the production of this podcast. Okay, enough of all that stuff. On to this episode's guest. He was the founder of Radio Jackie and a genuine pirate radio legend. Known to the thousands of Radio Jackie listeners as Mike Knight but to his good friends, he's Nick Catford. We chat about the early days in the Helen Network, their progression through the 70s, the Gots Assault court case, the weekly raids, and they're possibly not what you think they were. Going 24 hours, and the eventual close and rebirth of Radio Jackie. So, let's get into it. to the Pirates of the Airwaves podcast. Uh, today we have someone who is pretty much a legend in the land-based pirate radio world, a man who defied the authorities for many, many years and probably ran the most famous land-based pirate radio station in the country. Uh, hello, Nick Catford. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Nice, nice to speak to you. Thank you very much for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. That's my pleasure. The first thing I wanted to ask you was, when did you first become aware of pirate radio as opposed to just listening to the radio? Um, I think I first became aware of pirate radio when my friends told me about Radio Caroline. Uh, So I started listening to Radio Caroline and then I listened to Radio London. And before that, I'd had the BBC Light programme or I'd had Radio Luxembourg. Um, I, I, I never was a fan of Radio Luxembourg, fading in and out. Uh, 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 but I really enjoyed the pirates, and strangely enough, my dad also uh, listened to pirate radio because he listened to Radio Three Nine Zero. So we were we really became a pirate family through the sixties, and uh, when it finally finally came to an end, we were all devastated. It seems to me that that's pretty much mine. Was Radio Caroline in the seventies was my first uh, introduction to pirate radio. The next thing I wanted to ask you about was was. How did you think, right, I can do this, I can, what was your first station and your first broadcasts? Well, after the uh, Marine Offences Act uh, had put most of the pirates off, um, the first land-based stations came on, and uh, 
I, I, I found out about Radio Free London and I started listening to that and I knew it came from a, London, a house in London somewhere. And that's really where I thought, well, perhaps I could do this. And I got together with uh, six friends, uh, school friends, and uh, we had a talk about it and uh, we set up a, uh, a sort of makeshift studio in my loft uh, in, in, in Sutton. Uh, and started playing at being uh, DJs. Uh, but we thought, well, perhaps we really can do this. We could uh, get ourselves a transmitter and, and we could run our own radio station. And, and it, everyone, this, this was 1968, uh, and everyone w was really hooked on it. And was that the start of Jackie or was that a different thing? Something happened before that. I ran a, an organisation called the Sutton Commercial Radio Association. So I was in touch with pirates and another uh, land-based pirate based in Croydon, Radio Helen, uh, contacted me and they said, could we do a broadcast from your house? Uh, it, 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 was, it would be a half-hour broadcast. They came along and, uh, uh, and looked at the garden, which was, I think, now totally unsuitable for an aerial. Uh, but they said, yeah, no, no, we can use that. And they, uh, so they came along on the Saturday and strung up uh, an aerial out of, uh, out of my bedroom window and uh, up to the trees at the end of the garden, uh, brought in a, a, a transmitter, tested it, and left it there overnight, and uh, came down the next morning, turned it on, and Radio Helen broadcast from my bedroom. So that was uh, my, my first experience of, uh, of any kind of land-based pirate radio. And... Having done that, having done that, where well, yeah, we we knew we could do this, we could get a transmitter. Um, so we were even more determined by that time to uh, to, to sort something out uh, uh, for for our own station. Were they broadcasting live? Uh, it was on tape. It was on a reel to reel tape. No, no cassettes in those days. Uh, they brought along uh, a home built home built transmitter, which looked very rough. Uh, they, they brought along a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder, plugged it all in, uh, and I was able to walk down the road and listen to Radio Helen uh, on 197 metres uh, coming from my bedroom. Always a thrill, I think, when you hear your first broadcast yourself on the radio. Tell me about the start of Radio Jackie. How did it come about and, and what was the original idea? Well, we were, we were planning it from 1968. Um, we decided on the uh, on the name Jackie early on. Caroline had been named after Carol, uh, Caroline Kennedy, uh, so we, we were thinking we'd have a girl's name as well. So why not Jackie after Jackie Kennedy? So Jackie was actually born towards the end of 1968, but the problem uh, was getting a transmitter. Where do we get a transmitter from? We thought of buying uh, an army surplus transmitter. Trouble is, nobody had a clue about what to do with it but we went ahead and did it anyway and we, we ended up going to a surplus shop six of us we all drove up there in a van all excited and had a look at the various transmitters they had and we ended up with an, uh, an am vhf transmitter um no power supply with it but uh, we paid good money for it i think we paid a fiver for it um but <laughs> hadn't got a clue what to do with it so we were we brought it home and say right what do we do nobody knew so that didn't get us on the air eventually by by now other stations had come had come on helen was still uh, operating they they operated as a, as a a network of stations 
the idea was every station, uh, there would be a number of stations, each broadcasting for half an hour. So one would follow the other. Uh, the intent being to uh, provide continuous broadcasting. It never, it never worked. It was a total disaster. Half the stations never came on. Uh, one station might have a strong signal. The next station might have a, a weak signal. Uh, the next one might, might not come on, on at all. So the idea of running a network was a waste of time. Um, but we contacted, or I contacted, uh, one of the other Helen stations, Radio Apollo, uh, which came from Yule. Um, Roger was the, was the guy, Roger Scott, I think he was. And I said, hi, Roger. Um, I want to start a radio station. Um, I've been listening to Radio Apollo. Sounds good. Could you build me a transmitter? Uh, and he said yes. Uh, and he, he, he gave me a list of parts. Um, so me and one of, uh, uh, one of our team of six, uh, he, he told us where to go. The places to buy your parts were, were in London, Lyle street or, or, um, Edgware road. So he went to Lyle street with a list of parts. Uh, he said, you just need a, a second hand radio chassis. We'll build it on that. Uh, so I bought, bought the parts, which I think came to about 10, 12 pounds. Uh, and uh, uh, we we supplied Roger with with these parts, and um, a few days later, he, he rang me up and said, "Your transmitter is ready. Come and pick it up." So so we did. Yeah, I, I think we've we've all been through that particular episode as well, <laughs> where we get someone we know to build build our first transmitter. So Radio Jackie, what was the what was the original idea? Was it was it a bit of fun to start with, and it developed into the community station that we all knew, or was it? Was that the idea right from the start? I think probably a bit of both. We started off as one station in the Helen network. Um, so we were uh, Radio Jackie broadcasting as part of the Helen network because the stations weren't all ra- Radio Helen. Um, there was there were some were Radio Helen. There was Radio Helen 1, Radio Helen 2. The, the one that broadcast from my bedroom was Radio Helen 6. Uh, but we, we were Radio Jackie. Initially, we couldn't actually join the Helen network straight away because uh, you need a crystal to determine the frequency that you broadcast on. Uh, and the Helen network was on 197. The best we could do was a 194 crystal, which was um, which we bought at a local surplus shop in Kingston. So at least it got us on the air and we were able to do test transmissions. Um, but then uh, someone else from Helen gave us a 197 crystal, so we were able to joined the network so we slotted in uh, into this uh, network of stations every half hour and it was a total waste of time i can remember i think the first the first time we joined we joined in with them the station before us was on we came on the station after us didn't come on or if it did i couldn't hear it uh so i think within a few weeks uh we decided to go our own way right and and what sort of hours when you when you did break away from the helen network what sort of hours were you doing for Jackie? I think initially it was something like come uh, coming on at ten o'clock in the morning uh, and and going off at four. Um, we quickly moved to two two seven meters because obviously Helen were using one nine seven, um, so we decided on two two seven meters. Um, it was thirteen twenty three. We later moved to thirteen thirty two. Uh, but 1323 is when we started. So um, within a few weeks of actually getting out, getting our transmitter, our first 
our first actual broadcast, uh, and this wasn't part of the, the Helen Network, the first actual broadcast of Radio Jackie uh, was from my bedroom again on the 19th of March, 1969. So that was, that was our first official broadcast. So we opened up the station um, with Love Theme, uh, the, the B-side of uh, I'm Under the Influence of Love, Felice Taylor. So we always had the, we, we, we picked our theme in 1968 so we, you know we knew what we were going to do um uh, and i think that the first i think i did the first program it was reel to reel tape uh we hadn't uh, uh, finalized on cassettes then uh so that was on uh, uh an evening midweek evening uh and that went not very well um uh, that was that was uh, again. That was one nine four meters. It was off, off, off channel. Uh, so there was a uh, we're in. There was interference from foreign stations. But you know, two miles away on a, on a, on a uh, transistor radio, I could hear it quite well. Um, so we were there. Radio Radio Jackie had been launched, uh, and when we finally um, decided that the Helen Network was a total waste of time. Uh, and was never going to work, uh, and, uh, and we launched our own uh, Sunday broadcasts on 227. Uh, it, it very quickly went from, from strength to strength. We were getting a lot of listeners. This is Radio Jackie, broadcasting on 227 metres in the medium wave, a frequency 1320 kilohertz. Now concluding transmissions for this beautiful Sunday in spring 1974. We hope sincerely you've enjoyed the past six and a half hours of broadcasting and that you will join us again at the same time, 10 a.m. next Sunday morning for more music from Radio Jackie. Radio Jackie, the continuing voice of independent radio in London. Radio Jackie, the sounds of a young London, every Sunday on 227. So from all of us here at Radio Jackie, as the disc jockeys, myself, Michael Knight, Brian, Anthony, Mark Ellis, Steve Ellis, Dave Owen, Andy Belmont, and Steve Mason, from the engineers and the administrative staff, it's a goodbye for now. Have a good week ahead of you. Be good, won't you? If you can't be good, be careful. If you can't be careful, buy a pram. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Right from the early days, we had a, uh, an address to write to. I think the, the, the first address was for Heatherside Road, West Yule in Surrey, um, which was just a friend. Um, uh, but we also had a, a phone number. Uh, we started off by using a phone box. Uh, and then uh, one of us would stand in the phone box taking requests. Uh, and then uh, pretty soon uh, I did it from home and my mum would take the, take the requests. Um, and... We were getting a lot of listeners very, very quickly. And um, we always had the idea we wanted to make it a local station uh, for uh, for that area. Um, to be fair, sometimes some of our, uh, when we started having to move trans transmitter sites, initially we used houses, houses of friends, um, but then the raid started coming. So we had to go a little bit further afield. We we met we met the authorities very quickly. Um, we we got raided uh, several times early on, um, uh, but we got to know what uh, what they looked like because we always we always had lookouts from an early on um, walking around uh, the road around the, around the wherever the transmitter was and driving around in cars. So we got to know what they looked like. Uh, we had photographs of them. 
Uh, and obviously, if we saw them, I can remember one one broadcast from uh, uh, Sutton Common Road in Sutton. Uh, uh, I was peering out of the window, and there was Victor Frisby, uh, one of the uh, uh, the post office um, team who who would come out and uh, try and put a stop to us. Uh, we recognised him from photographs, uh, so we turned the transmitter off, uh, got it out the back of the building, and I went out to greet him. And a very miserable miserable man he was as well yeah one of the things i wanted to talk about was the was the raid years because because obviously people a lot of people listening to this will have been involved in in the pirate radio world and some may not have been uh but the thing is i always remember reading that jackie was just getting raided constantly was there any point during that really really heavy raid phase that you thought oh let's just give this up it was a long time before we were raided constantly uh, the first few years we were raided every so often, and you you might get a raid, and then it might be sort of three three months before you got another one. There were court cases early on, uh, but quite quickly we ran out of um, houses to broadcast from, so we started broadcasting from fields where there's always an opportunity to see them coming and run away. Uh, at one point, this would be. 1969, um, the member who had a car, Doug, he, he, he went to America, so we had no transport, yet we wanted to go out to fields. So we thought, um, if we get an old pram, we can, we can put all the gear in a pram, wheel it to the site, set up in the site, do the broadcast, uh, and then wheel, wheel it home, home again. So I've, I've, got, uh, I've got some pictures, and it's fascinating, look at them, uh, of me with a, a pram. Um, full of car batteries and uh, the transmitter. We even took it on the underground once. We we went to a site at Hounslow, way out of our service area, but why not? So we, we wheeled the pram to Morden Station onto, onto the underground and, uh, uh, and and took it to Hounslow. Uh, it was a really, really battered pram, I can tell you. Um, and it, it just had sort of blankets over it covering up covering up the batteries. So what people must have thought when they saw long-haired youth, youths wheeling a pram along, I, I can't imagine. But going back to the raids, we lost that pram. They, they confiscated that and, and used it to get, get the, the batteries from the, the middle of a field out to the road. But we didn't have that many raids early on. The raids started coming probably, it probably wasn't until the, the mid to late 70s where we were getting a lot of raids, and strangely enough, uh, they weren't uh, raids by the post office. They there was a, one particular policeman um, who had decided he, because the post office weren't being successful in getting us off the air. Owen Tweedy, his name was uh, Sergeant Owen Tweedy, um, and he enlisted the, ha- the help of a, a radio amateur called Begby. So Begby would do the tracking, would do the tracking. Tweedy would come along and raid us. He, he just took it. Uh, we were illegal, so he felt, as a policeman, he could actually push us off the air. Of course, what he didn't know is that pirate radio isn't actually an arrestable offence. But a policeman comes along, you don't stand there. So we, so we ended up having to change transmitter side every hour. So we had seven or eight transmitters. Uh, and we really did change every hour, and some of them he, um, he he found, others he didn't. 
but he was just taking it upon himself to do this. We were actually prosecuted as a result of his evidence. And and I'm not sure what happened after that, but uh, after that court case, I think someone had told him that he shouldn't be really, really be doing this. Uh, and we never saw him again. I've, I've never heard that story before. I've read plenty about your station, but I've never heard that story before. I just assumed it was the, you know, the post office or the DTI, whoever it was at the time, were desperate to get rid of you because you were the big operators. And if they got rid of you, they, I think they thought they could probably get rid of others. The, the, the post office never raided with any regularity, um, not on medium wave. On, on, when we finally came on FM in 1971, uh, then for the first year, there were no raids at all uh, because I think they weren't familiar with, with uh, VHF pirates. Uh, but when they did start raiding us, it was uh, the raids were quite regular. Um, but by then, GOTS had gone and uh, uh, the detection team was led by a chap called William Leslie Crow. Uh, we used to ring him up uh, at home. He, he was in the phone book. Uh, unbelievable. Frisbee was in the phone book as well. I think they weren't thinking uh, when they took the job that they would need to uh, uh, keep a little bit secretive. So we'd, we'd ring up we'd ring up Jim Crow and say, Jim, are you coming out tonight? And he said, no, I won't be out tonight, lads. You'll be all right tonight. And it, and it was that sort of relationship we had with them. Um, you see, we're moving ahead now talking about this because Gotts is the one or Stanley Smith, and then got to the ones that everyone has heard of. Well, th this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I don't know whether you're comfortable talking about this or not, but the Gotts court case and the whole thing. I'm, I'm, I am very comfortable talking about it because it, it is the best thing we ever did. Well, please please enlighten us. When we started uh, in, in uh, Radio Jackie, uh, uh, Eric Gotts was a technical officer working for the post office, uh, under an assistant executive engineer, Stanley William Smith. Uh, so, uh, so we knew got we, we we knew Gotts early on, um, but it but, but Smith was in charge, and he was a he was a, a, a nasty piece of work as well. Uh, but he eventually retired or or moved on, and Eric Gotts was uh, promoted to an assistant executive engineer um, under an executive engineer Haywood who actually never came out. So Haywood was the boss of the department uh, and Gotts was the one who uh, who organised all the raids. But he, he used to get violent uh, and he was just a, a really unpleasant person. So on one occasion in Tolworth, we got raided. Um, he, was, he, he hit somebody. But we had a lot of witnesses on, on this occasion. Uh, there were some people walking by who saw it. Uh, several of our staff saw it. So we ended up taking Gotts to court uh, for common, common assault. He or, or the, uh, the post office, I can't remember if they were the post office or the Ministry of Post but by that time, but we'll, I, we call them the post office. Uh, they summoned, summoned us for molestation uh, of a post office official in the execution of his duty. Uh, so not, not for pirate radio or not for contravention of the wireless, contravention of the wireless telegraphy act. Um, it was a molestation, but when it came to court, uh, their, their case was heard first. Gotz's other officers, Brian Copsey, Brian William Holder, I think Brian, Brian Holder and, and 
Brian Charles Williams, uh, they said at the time of the offence, they saw nothing. They were looking the other way, so they couldn't say whether he did, whether he did it or not. So Gotts was uh, prosecuted, successfully prosecuted for common assault. He appealed. He lost his appeal. So um, he had to pay our, our legal costs. Um, I think he only got a conditional discharge, uh, but the important thing was uh, getting a conviction against him. Um, so after that, that was 1977, I think. After that, raids stopped. All, all raids stopped for four or five years. Um, no raids whatsoever of any kind. We were able to go 24 hours a day live. Um, we, we took advertising. We had party political broadcasts uh, with uh, when, when there was a, a European election, all the candidates came in uh, and nobody did anything about us at all. Radio Jackie, For the tastiest tandoori along the Thames, come into the Thames Tandoori Restaurant, 10 to 12 Riverside Walk, Kingston. Situated between the Bishop Out of Residence and Cinderella Rockefellers, the Thames Tandoori overlooks the river, just by Kingston Bridge. Enjoy a wonderful Indian meal in a lovely setting. Open seven days a week, midday until 3pm and six till midnight. Just opened, the Thames Tandoori are now taking Christmas bookings. So reserve your table at the Thames Tandoori, 10 to 12 Riverside Walk, Kingston. Phone 541-1918. That number again, 541-1918. The Radio Jackie Christmas Party will be held on Friday the 21st of December at the Wimbledon Civic Hall behind the Town Hall. Radio Jackie D. DJs Jeff Rogers and Jerry James will be there together with three guest bands live on stage and lots of goodies to give away. The doors will be open from 7.30 till late and there will be a licensed bar. Tickets cost £2 in advance from Radio Jackie at 32 Central Road in Worcester Park or £2.50 on the night. And the evening's entertainment is being organised by the South London Guardian in conjunction with Radio Jackie and all proceeds will go towards the Guardian Community Trust for the Blind. Night night. That was my, ne- ne- my next... Uh phase is the 24-hour phase. And when was that decision made? Because I assume that you'd looked into the legalities of this and found out that you couldn't have your equipment confiscated. It's illegal to install the equipment, um, but all they can do in, in the event of a raid until there is a confiscation order by the court, all they can do is test it. But still, they never did that. We got equipment back on several occasions. There were several court cases where we applied for the equipment back and quite a lot of equipment was given back to us. This would be in the late 70s, I think. We decided we were going to, um, we did some long broadcasts. We always did a few long broadcasts. In in, in Christmas 1973, uh, we did a, a two-day broadcast right over Christmas, 40, 48 hours we were on for from a, a derelict house in uh, Levine Road in Battersea. Um, we squatted in the house, uh, and um, we found there was a uh, uh, a walkway in the loft between the two houses. So we were able to board up one house, uh, which is where the transmitter was, um, and we were able to have our studio in the house next door. Uh, and you could and uh, you could go in through the loft. Now, okay, so we were nicking electricity. 
um, uh, when when a house is left derelict, the power is very very rarely cut off. They just pull the main fuse out. Um, so we we left a fiver on the fuse box, uh, put a new fuse in, so we we had power. Um, okay, a, a bit naughty. Uh, I, d- I don't think you're the only pirate to uh, to have pinched a little bit of electricity. <laughs> no. Um, in later days, when the raids stopped, uh, we we didn't see any need to um, to move transmission site anymore. So this this would be sort of mid eighties, uh, and we found a uh, a good location in uh, in Beddington on Beddington Sewage Works, which was a disused sewage works near Croydon. So we strung up an aerial there. One of our members of staff, Mick, lived uh, in the houses on the perimeter of the sewage works. So we actually uh, dug a trench across the old sewage works uh, and buried a power cable um, for about a quarter of a mile. Uh, it went across a public footpath, so we had to go and get some asphalt. Uh, so we dug a, a, a trench across the public footpath, re-asphalted it. Uh, uh, so we installed a socket. Um, in a in a little box hidden in some bushes, a uh, quarter of a mile from his house, uh, and uh, so we always had power uh, in the uh, uh, in in the field. So it's somewhere we, where we could get a good aerial up with trees. Um, we were relatively safe um, uh, because we weren't, we weren't going to get raided, and we had power. Were you were you broadcasting live at that point, or was it still recorded programs? It was still recorded at that point, um, but at least. We didn't bother to have any any lookouts by the transmitter because we knew we weren't going to get raided, so there, there was no point. So everyone would sit in Mick's front room, uh, and they just went over to the transmitter to change the tape. Uh, every, every hour we were on um, uh, cassettes in those days using the uh, the famous Philips EL three three zero two cassette recorder. Someone someone put a picture of that up on the Facebook site. Yeah. And it got a lot of traction. People really, really uh, remember that very well. Yes, they had a nice little slot for adjusting the heads in the top. You, you pulled off the flap. There was a little hole there. You got your screwdriver and you adjusted the heads. Um, uh, very, very reliable machines. So all we had to do then was <clears throat> go and change the tape every hour, and ev- everything went very well. Um, but uh, eventually we, we moved from that site to one at Tolworth, uh, Jubilee Way Tolworth again. It was uh, uh, across a one corner of a field. We we didn't have the power then, um, but we used to have a lot of car batteries, so they'd all be taken in in the morning and uh, hidden nearby. So the, the transmitter was unmanned. So somebody had to go in every so often and change the battery and change change the cassette. Um, but then we thought, well, how about doing it with a live link? Uh, which would be much easier. Um, so we we rented an office in Joanna House uh, in St Phillips Avenue, Worcester Park. Uh, we 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 built a studio on the top floor, and we had a UHF link from Worcester Park to the transmitter site at Tolworth, uh, and uh, that went beautifully. I, I do remember. I remember Jackie very well at this point in in its life because it was when I was really getting into the whole thing. And, um, you know, the signal was always, I mean, I lived in northeast London, uh, at, at the Essex end of northeast London, and I could hear Jackie pretty well where I was. You know, the signal re- always got, I don't know how much power you're running, 
in the late 70s, early 80s? Uh, until we actually moved uh, to Cheam, um, we were running about 100 watts. Um, because it was still it was still having to, it was still running off batteries, so we couldn't couldn't put the power up too much. Yeah, but the, I, I do remember. I mean, once like all anoraks, we went and DF'd you and had a look, and we could never believe how high you got the aerials. That was the thing. It was it was uh, some, it was the height. We we had a lot of ideas about aerials. We tried crossbows, and you the the idea was you shoot uh, a fishing line across the tree. Um, but uh, the bolts would go too far. Um, so eventually we got a fisherman's catapult, uh, and we got some very strong pe- people with strong arms. Tony Collis, uh, our, our gaffer, uh, in particular, had very good arms, and uh, so he would shoot a three-ounce fishing weight with a thin fishing line over the top of a 60- or 70-foot tree, and he was he, he got very good at that. Uh, then we would pull up a, a heavier weight fishing line, uh, and that would get uh, left there. And then uh, the day before, each uh, on the Saturday, we'd go up and haul the aerial up. Um, the fishing line nev- never got touched, so we, we'd tether that to, to two, two points up the tree, so so people wouldn't walk into it. So we didn't leave the aerial up. We we put the aerial up every Saturday, um, but it really we you really could get it we gave up climbing trees early on um probably sort of early early 70s when, when you realize when you realize there were better ways of doing it that didn't involve climbing trees yeah i, I think we used the uh the fishing catapult and fishing line system as well when we, when, when we were on the air so when the decision to go, the decision to go 24 hours was it just something that sort of started to happen or was it you all got together and go right let's do this let's just Stop playing around. Let's really make this something big. Up until that point, Radio Jackie was run by a committee. Uh, and stations that are run by a committee or anything run by a committee often doesn't work. So we had a vote or, or we had a, a meeting where Tony Collis offered uh, to pay for everything if we gave him sole control of the station. So the committee voted itself out of a job and uh, and agreed to hand over to Tony Collis uh, to run the station. So basically, he, he was in charge. Uh, and I think it was his decision to go 24 hours uh, from, from Worcester Park. Uh, initially, we we'd just we were just on a, on a, on a Sunday with a live link. Uh, uh, but then we said, let's let's actually do it live. So we went live from from Joanna House. Right. Okay. Well, was the transmitter same size as the studio? No, no, no. The transmitter was still at Tolworth. Oh, so still at Tolworth. Right. Uh, the, the transmitter and studio were never at the same site. Oh, right. Okay. Eventually, we Dave Owen or Dave Wright, who who was one of our uh, presenters, offered his house at eighty seven Abbots Road, Cheam, for a transmitter site. So it, it was just a, a normal size semi uh, with a 50-foot garden. Um, but we put, at one end of the garden, uh, we put two 20-foot scaffolding poles on top of each other, which had to be heavily guyed. Uh, and you couldn't guy it in the street, so it wasn't particularly well guyed because you could only guy it in one direction. Um, we put another 
scaffolding pole strapped to the chimney. So we had uh, an aerial strung between the two scaffolding poles. So we're, we're, we're talking probably 40 feet in height and uh, 50 foot in, in, in length, probably, which we centre-fed uh, from the transmitter room, which was a garden shed. But it was, it was a, a brick shed that could be fortified. Uh, so we had a, a metal grill on the door, so it was very heavily fortified. Uh, the garden, we had a lot of copper rods, which we bashed into the ground in the garden uh, to create a good earth. But it was still Dave's mum's house, and Dave lived there. So we just uh, changed our link from pointing at, uh, uh, at Tolworth to pointing at Cheam. We did change our, uh, our studio. At that point, um, we were in Joanna House. We we moved into uh, can't remember the name of the house in in Central Road. We we rented two floors above a shop, and we had the studio on the lower floor. We had uh, offices uh, on the upper floor, but still linked to the to the transmitter at uh, in, in Abbots Road, Cheam. Um, so we had our uh, the sh- we we the office was open to the public. We had a shop in Morden, opposite Crown House, so that so people could go there. So when when we had our MP in, he would come to our studio in in Worcester Park uh, and do everything live. Um, so we were really running as a legitimate radio station. By the time we were finally put off the air, because uh, we were still not getting rated in, in, in this period, um, uh, we were paying income tax, um, which they were happy to take. MCPS and, and PRS wouldn't take our money, um, so that, that got returned. But the Inland Revenue were happy to take our money. BT were happy to, uh, to take our money for the phone lines. We, we had our phone number in Joanna House. We didn't want uh, the hassle of changing it, uh, so we uh, threw the phone line uh, out of the window and hauled it up into the new building, which they virtually backed onto each other because the giant house was on the corner of Central Road. So rather than get a new line, we just uh, uh, changed the building uh, that the, the line went to. Uh, so we, we put it put it through a window in in Central Road. But everyone was have everyone was happy to take money from us. We paid union rates uh, to to the staff, so we were being as legitimate as we could be. Uh, but we we were still a pirate. How many people did you actually have working? For the station, I mean, being paid, probably twenty in total. There were the broadcasters, there's newsreaders, um, but there was a sales manager, uh, and, and there were. It was really like a proper company, although we 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 were still a pirate radio station. It was run like a proper company with with Tony as the managing director, and we were making a profit. Uh, the company was doing well. The problem is, and this is what led to our downfall in the end, our advertising rates were about a tenth of the local commercial radio station. And, and eventually we, or they, claimed that they were taking all our advertising, or their, we were taking all their advertising. Um, and, and that's what brought about our downfall in the end. The final raid is something I wanted to talk to you about. How much did you know about that final raid, what was going to happen? Well, we knew the night before it was going to happen, um, simply because our MP, Angela Rumbold, the late Angela Rumbold, uh, was a really good friend 
And she she rang Tony up the night before, and she said, you're going to get raided tomorrow if you want to get everything out. And we got a lot of stuff out, but we decided not to go off the air and to and to carry on and get raided, and that's what happened. But it, it still wasn't Gotts. For, for this raid, they brought down the Manchester uh, post office. I'm calling them post office. They weren't post office by then. But they brought down Gordon Yates from Manchester, who headed the raid uh, on, on our, our studio. It was a, a simultaneous raid on the studio and, and the transmitter. So everything did get, did get taken. They took away all the studio. They took away the phones. They took away all the records they found. But we did know in advance, thanks to Angela Rumbold, that that raid was, was, was coming. So we weren't prepared for it. And that wasn't the end. We, we, we did come back. Um, but then another raid followed, uh, and then there was an injunction uh, against Tony Collis to stop him broadcasting. So if he'd carried on, he would have gone to prison. Uh, so that's what fi- finally put us off the air. Um, by that time, we were we were running about 500 watts. Um, uh, so uh, so although it wasn't an ideal transmission site, uh, it was made up for. Uh, by the power that we were running. Um, and I think we were lucky because we spoke to all the neighbours and uh, there wasn't really any interference, although you could hear the programmes coming out of next door's washing machine, but, which was a, a little bit embarrassing. Uh, but they run out, they, they run out on our side. Uh, and then, so after, the, after the, the final raid and the station closed down, what happens to the organisation? Are you still an organisation, or, or is it? Uh... Well, yes, um, Tony set up a, uh, a minicab business called Radio Jackie Cars, uh, and this this ran from the studio because we we kept on the the office, uh, and and we built up a uh, a flourishing mini car minicab company. But at the same time, we were preparing our application for a license, so Radio Jackie staff. Uh, we're still working there, preparing our license while running a, a, a minicab business from the office. Well, did you apply for the original Thames Radio license, the one that, that you ended up getting? Yes. And you were turned down? Uh, and we, did, we, did, we didn't get it. Do you think that was a political decision? Uh, I think it was. Um, we were far better qualified than they were, but we had been a pirate. Uh, and I think it was a political decision. Uh, we were still getting a lot of support from our local MPs, um, but not not sufficient, and uh, 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 they didn't have enough clout. And, uh, and the license eventually went to Thames Radio, which turned out to be a, a total disaster. Yes, I, I, I remember reading the story about how I think I think didn't the Jackie organisation buy it for a pound in the end? In in the end, yes, because they were a failing concern. So we we bought we bought Thames Radio for a pound. For that pound, you get. Um, all the equipment, you get um, the studio, which was rented, so so we didn't keep that on. But you get their debts as well. So we had to cover their debts, but we did buy Thames Radio for a pound. The time on Radio Jackie is now two minutes past seven. For the last 16 years, you've been listening to Radio Jackie. We hope you can listen again in the future. For the very final time, goodbye. And that was February the 4th, 1985. Good afternoon, this is Dave Owen. It's now exactly 12 noon. It's October the 19th, 2003. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the brand new sound of Radio Jackie. 
Richmond, Chertsey and Epsom. This is the sound of South West London. And then, and then you move the whole operation to Tolworth Broadway, yeah? Yes, Tony bought uh, Tolworth Broadway. We rented space in Tolworth Tower next door or, or opposite. So, um, so we didn't have uh, any problems uh, with the link. So everything was was uh, obviously then legitimate because you know, we're not a pirate anymore. So everything. So we owned our own transmitters and. Radio Jackie came basically came back with the same management team uh, as when we closed down. A lot of the people were still with us and had been involved in the license application. Uh, Peter Streams uh, or Peter Rivers uh, was was station manager. Uh, Dave Owen was program controller. Tony was the gaffer, and it worked well. Uh, and we turned Thames Radio around very quickly. Uh, from a, a failing station to a successful station, we had achieved our aims. Uh, it, has al- it had always been our aim to have a local radio station in Southwest London, and, and we stuck to our guns. And, uh, and, and then, of course, we were a local radio station in Southwest London. Almost the perfect um, local radio license for you in the end. <laughs> yes, and we've uh, the license has been renewed several times since, so we've got to, we've got to be doing something right. There have been changes, rather controversially. We we changed our our program controller fairly recently, uh, and the programs I think they've been getting very stale, uh, and and they've livened up a lot now. And the, sadly, I I gave up doing programs in about two thousand and ten. Um, it was just I I just didn't have time to travel. I I live in Kent. And I just didn't have time to travel to Tolworth. Um, I could have done that. I was even offered the overnight show seven days a week if I wanted that. Uh, uh, but uh, I certainly didn't. The graveyard shift. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like conventional sleeping hours. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Your legacy, your legacy in the land-based pirate radio world. Are you aware of the way people think about you? <laughs> yes, I suppose so, because I have... When social media came along, I didn't want anything to do with it. But then I learned about uh, specialist groups, so I thought, I'm going to give Facebook a try. And and, and then I, I went the full hog. Uh, and so social media has kept all the pirates in touch with each other. Uh, so, I, I, yes, I am aware of, uh, uh, of, of how, how I am considered. It's a bit embarrassing at times. Um, but... It was, I think it's something very important that we did, and I love to remember it, and I love to talk about it, uh, and we had some great times. Yeah, we were breaking the law, um, but we, would, we, were, we, we, we had good intent, uh, and um, although sometimes we bent the rules, uh, uh, I think we, we, uh, it, it was eventually proved uh, that, uh, that we could do what we always wanted to do, and, and do it well. I think the fact that you've dedicated almost 50 years of your life to this is, is probably a testament to, to, to the way people feel about you. When I originally wanted to set up the Facebook group that's now the land-based pirate radio 70s and 80s group, me and Mark Dizani, who you also know, obviously, had been just been messaging each other saying, about, and I said, is there a group? So we set it up and immediately it just took off so quickly. We've got almost 500 members now from all over the country, all over Europe as well. And um, and when certain names started to join, and yours was one of them, I thought, 
that's it. We've really arrived now. You know, you and and Norm Barrington and people like that. And you think, yeah, that that's um, it's obviously got traction. All I need now is Tony Blackburn. I'll be happy with that then. Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm loving it. I'm loving reminiscing about the old times, uh, and I don't in any way regret anything I did then. I don't regret being involved with social media now and, and speaking about it. I've got an awful lot of photographs. I wish I'd carried on taking photographs. So I've got a lot of photographs uh, taken in the first eight or nine years. I've got all the all the press cuttings uh, up until the raid. It was a very to me. Uh, I love I love being a pirate. I'm, I didn't love being a lawbreaker, but I love being a pirate. And to be honest, I quite enjoyed the raids. It seems a strange thing to say, but uh, I enjoy being a lookout. I, th- I think I think you're just I think you're just a thrill seeker, aren't you, Nick? <laughs> uh, yes, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, I enjoyed driving round, watching out. Uh, and, and if I was the one to spot them blowing the horn and giving the warning, but we never really had it in for the post office. They were doing a job, and I can remember one occasion uh, up at Waldingham on on, on VHF. Uh, we we spotted them and got off the air, uh, and then we spotted Brian Copsey about a mile from his car. We knew where his car was, and we said, "Brian, jump in. We'll give you a lift back to your car." Uh, so he got in the front of the car put his feet up on the battery that we'd rescued from the site, which was in the, 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 the uh, on the floor, uh, and we gave him a lift back, back to his car, and, and it was all very good-hearted. Once Gotts was out of the picture, uh, uh, as I said, we, we used to phone Jim Crow uh, and ask if we were being raided, uh, and we got on with them. Uh, and sometimes they would uh, smile for photographs. Uh, we always used to go to court cases, uh, everyone's court case, because you get to know your enemy. Um, obviously they get to know us as well uh, but again it would be another photo opportunity uh, so I've got some good pictures of uh, uh, of Gotts at Staines Magistrates Court because we knew they would have to be there but uh, we always accepted they had a job to do uh, as long as they didn't exceed their authority like, like Gotts did and he paid for that he should have been uh, promoted to executive engineer but he never was so he lost his promotion um, I think his bosses accepted that he'd exceeded his authority in what he did. Um, he was convicted. He lost his appeal. The guy's still alive. I feel sorry for him now. I look at him. Yeah, some, someone put a photograph uh, of him on, on the Facebook site of him with his grandchildren. Yeah, probably me. Oh, was it? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, with his grandchildren. That's me. I found, <laughs> I found uh, he's not on Facebook, but his wife is. Uh, and we 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 found her Facebook. It was obviously the right woman because she lived in the right place because we've known his address uh, since the seventies, and he hasn't moved. Um, so uh, and and he, he is just a an old man in his sort of eighties with his grandchildren, uh, just a sad old man. Um, but uh, Mike Barrington has uh, been past his house and seen him come out and. So he's he's still there. He's still still going strong. Um, I I wouldn't mind meeting him. Uh, you know, I, I would like to talk about the old days with him, uh, but I don't think he'd want to meet me. Yeah, I mean, again, as as one of the moderators for the site, there was some unpleasant stuff put on there, which I took off because I thought this is not what 
it's about, like you say, these people were doing a job to send. I know he he went a bit over the top, but um, and it's water under the bridge, isn't it? You know, you, you can't hold, you you can't sort of hold hold him responsible for all this forever. You know, it's it's it is water under the bridge. It's gone. Let, let, let's move on. We 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 won. He lost. And Radio Jackie continues, and they have to now bow down to that fact. <laughs> As Copsey did when when we invited Copsey to our fortieth, he was very complimentary. Uh, about what 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 we'd achieved, I don't think Gotts would be, but I would I would meet him if and I would shake hands with him and I would love to talk about the old days with him. I'd love it. Uh, Nick Catford, thank you ever so much for giving us almost an hour of your time. I really hope people have enjoyed this conversation. I have loved talking to you. I've never really spoken to you before. You are just one of those people in my mind as a pirate radio fanatic who who's a, quite a legend. And it's lovely to talk to you, and I, I really have enjoyed hearing all about the world of Radio Jackie and the world of Nick Catford. I've enjoyed talking to you, Mark, and I can see, I'm looking at your face, I can see the enthusiasm for what you do uh, is it, still there. So that's great. Uh, I, think, I think you're doing great work, uh, and, and I just love remembering the old days. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pirates of the Airways podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please click the subscribe button and give us a review. If you're interested on being on the podcast or have any comments to make, nice ones only, please, then please feel free to get in contact with us. You can email us at piratepod7080 at gmail.com or make a comment on the Facebook site. Our next episode will be out in two weeks' time where we'll be talking to Radio Invicta, Voice of Peace and numerous Irish pirate stations presenter, Steve Marshall. If you don't want to miss that or any other episode, then as I said, click the subscribe button. Once again, I'd like to thank the piratearchive.net and amfm.org.uk for their help in the production of this podcast. And I will speak to you all in the next episode. Okay. No. Radio Nova on 1404 kilohertz, 212 meters in the medium wave band. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal programming just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.